0: DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain, Secret Garden, a theological contemplation of prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, thank you once again for joining me.
1: Well, it's very good to be with you, Chris. Thanks for uh, for continuing these conversations and helping me and everyone else listening to us open up this wisdom of Saint Teresa of Avila.
0: I am so grateful that we are taking this each mansion at a time and so carefully exploring each area as it were spiritual area that she's presenting to us and this mansion the third mansions this one is i think one that you we really need to savor and not to jump over because hopefully as she said you know many souls who are striving are find themselves here
1: Mm, i think what happens is souls get here they get discouraged and they backslide Mm -hmm. and What she's trying to do is two things at once. She said, actually, the hardest stuff is behind you. Don't go back there because it's going to be hard work all over again. Mm -hmm. This is going to be some hard work that we have before us. But if you'll go through this, you've made space for God to do something very beautiful in your life. But we really do need to go through this. This is the stage, really, of a soul no longer falling habitually into mortal sin, not really Habitually in venial sin, he's somebody who's trying not to sin at all, and so you you have this person who, in other words, is trying to be a virtuous, good Christian. And at this stage of the game, in the back of our minds, we think, "Well, we had all that struggle with sin. Now I'm arrived. Now things should really get good." Instead of things really getting good, we enter into a whole new set of trials, spiritual dryness, and. Uh, which calls for uh, a certain kind of renunciation. And so the reason why they backslide because they think in the back of their mind, I don't deserve this. I'm a good guy. I'm doing <laughs> what I'm supposed to do. But you hit this wall and you realize that you're not a good person, that there are some things that really need to change in your life that you've got to deal with. When the Lord in his mercy manifests this to you, we want to run away from it. And that's the backsliding Teresa saying, don't run away from that. What God is revealing to you right now in these present trials, the trials of a good person, the trials of somebody who wants to serve the Lord, there's something to be learned here, and you will learn it to the degree that you have humility and fear of the Lord. Without humility or fear of the Lord, we'll never get through this third mansion.
0: Boy, there is the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down, isn't it? I mean, her teachings on humility. This is a big Teresa virtue that she wants you to really develop in your life or be receptive to, isn't it?
1: Yes, well, we know from her earlier work, her life that she wrote, that in the first Ten chapters or so of that work, we discover how much she struggled with pride and how pride held her back. I like to think about a great deal of what she describes in the very first part of her life has right here more maturely reflected on. When she was in the convent, she wasn't a miserable sinner who uh, going out and doing all kinds of untoward things. But she would go through these times of great uh, struggles and trials and in the midst of those, give up prayer and backslide and then have to climb back up when the Lord convicted her again. And so she's going back and forth. And so she knows this third mansion, these third mansions, these third dwelling places. They've impacted her memory. And she also knows what happens when you get on the other side of them. And so she's trying to, again, give us a word of hope. But it's not just for her an idea. This is part of her life experience. And so this is a reality that she's kind of, you could say in a certain way, mastered. And she's up on the road a little bit ahead of us. And she, you know, don't get stuck there. Come on, let's go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and she in the beginning of this particular chapter one on the third mansion, She reminds the sisters, you have this beautiful patroness, the Virgin Mother, Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and imitate her, follow her example, and consider yourself very blessed to have her as a patroness. And that actually could be said for all of us. You don't have to travel this alone, correct?
1: Right. Our Lady goes before us. In a certain way, you could look at Our Lady's life and realize that she too had a great deal of many trials that she had to go through. If you think about as Mary followed Jesus during his earthly ministry, Mary, whenever she approached her son in the Gospels, he puts this mysterious distance between himself and his mother. At least it appeared to be a mysterious distance, but we, looking back with faith, see that he was actually establishing a deeper spiritual relationship with his mother. When somebody cries out, blessed are uh, is the womb that bore you, the breast that fed you, and Jesus replies with, no, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And who kept it better than his mother, but he was reestablishing his relationship with his mother in a way this is what's going on in this third mansion is the Lord is reestablishing new relationship with us that requires us to pass through certain trials so that he can do some deep healing in our soul there are things in our life that are out of order or diseased and he wants to he wants to heal that disease and he can only do it to the dimension that we are surrendered and humbled to his action.
0: So she reminds us, of, just like you said, you've made it through the first and the second. And now keep going. Keep realize that that's behind you. The trials are going to look different now. It's a bit more of a struggle because you, you begin to think, wow, I'm doing so great. I'm very blessed. Isn't this so fortunate that I'm experiencing all this? And then she doesn't want you to cling to that. Am I reading that right?
1: Yeah, she doesn't want to sit on our laurels. There is a great Polish general who says that to lose a battle and not to give up is not to be defeated. But to sit on your laurels in the midst of victory is certain disaster. Hmm. And there's a way in which Teresa here is giving us the same pep talk What's at stake is humility and fear of the Lord. And what happens when we gain a certain kind of, we become good at the business of religion and religious activities. We do the thing that needs to be done pretty well and everybody's patting us on the back telling us what a good job we're doing. Well, what's most at risk there is this kind of self-satisfaction. What's most at risk there is that we lose a sense of fear of the Lord that we start thinking that we deserve something that we don't yet deserve because we've, in our sin, we have done some things that have acted against his love and we've hurt people and we've hurt ourselves and we're not, what's that, that sitting on our laurels, we're not really living in the truth. So how do you get into living in the truth and this gift of fear of the Lord is the beginning of that kind of wisdom? and it allows us to enter into a deeper kind of humility, Teresa says, Enter within yourselves, my daughters, and get right away from your own trifling good works, for these are bound as Christians to perform, and indeed many more. It will be enough for you that you are vassals of God. Do not try to get so much that you achieve nothing. Hmm. So you see, if we enter into ourselves and start dealing with the reality that's there, rather than looking at all the good works we're performing, those good works really are the very least we owe God. And so we've really done nothing. We are poor servants of the Lord. What God would be more pleased with is rather than looking at all our great religious accomplishments, he'd be much more pleased if we looked at what he needs to heal in our life, and kind of accept our poverty before the Lord, accept what we've done and what we need to do penance for, accept the disorder in our hearts, and not accept it in the sense of of like, oh, it's okay, i I'm just got to live with this disorder, but accept it in terms of, this is part of me, and this is something I need to deal with, And even more, it's something that God needs to deal with me. And I got to learn how to surrender this to him. This is where she's trying to get us to go. She says something kind of funny on this point. What God does to help us enter in and deal with this is he kind of takes away some of the sweetness of his presence. Uh, She speaks about aridity and she's already introduced the concept of aridity In her earlier work, The Life, I think it's developed also in the way of perfection, but the concept of aridity is, in her life, the first degree of prayer, the first way you learn how to pray, she describes it as drawing water from the well. The hard work of meditation, of thinking about the Lord and thinking about our life and the Lord's presence in our life and our failures to be faithful to his presence and his faithfulness in the midst of our failures. As you think about these things and the immensity of his love, it requires hard work of your imagination, your thoughts, your feelings. But as you do the work, sometimes there's these surges of the heart that take place, that uh, tears of the heart, sometimes tears fall from your eyes. And those tears are very, very healing and good things. It's, that's drawing water from the well, she calls that. The water that falls from our eyes, or at least we feel in our heart that the sorrow, uh, letting our heart be pierced by the tenderness of God's love for us. This is healing for us to have. And in the beginning of the spiritual life, drawing water from the well, it gets easier and easier until the well runs dry. In this third mansion, she's returning to this idea that sometimes the well is dry. No matter how hard you try to pull up the bucket, nothing comes up. And the temptation to think is that maybe something's wrong with my prayer because I deserve to have water come up out of this. And Teresa's saying, no, no. (laughs) you Mm know, you don't deserve water. Uh, You deserve whatever the Lord gives you when he gives it to you. She calls out, oh, humility, humility. I do not know why I have this temptation. But whenever I hear people making so much of their times of aridity, I cannot help thinking that they are somewhat lacking in it. Mm
0: -hmm. And, uh,
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. And if we have devotion to the Lord, real devotion. We're going to pass through times of aridity because these times of testing help move our love from a place of being a wishful thought, a vague intention, something that we imagine into real action. And what the Lord most wants in our lives is that our love be real. And aridity is a blessing from God that helps move it from an idea into flesh and blood embodied action that builds up others and builds up the church and gives glory and honor to the Lord. And that's what she's trying to get us to.
0: We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app, which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from inside the pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St Michael and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A Prayer of St Ignatius of Loyola. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty,
1: my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me.
0: To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Beginning to pray with Doctor Anthony Lullis. It sounds, in a real way, too, that there is a bit of the the Saint Ignatius influence, the Ignatian influence, that she maybe has helped her to come to a greater understanding about these things as well.
1: I think Ignatius is here. I think she's also unearthing a misunderstanding or misappropriation of Saint Ignatius's teaching. St. Ignatius talks about how to behave in the midst of desolation. The aridity she's talking about isn't quite the same as desolation. St. Ignatius says that when we find ourselves in spiritual desolation, which for him is the inability to be virtuous, a lack of devotion to the Lord that we're, we're confronting. When these things kind of strike us, he says, Do everything you can to get out of that. Don't make any big life changes. Don't change jobs or vocations or things like that. But maybe spend a little bit more time in prayer, maybe a little bit more time fasting. But don't let yourself be overwhelmed by that desolation. This time of aridity is maybe a little bit different than that. Rather than trying to increase practices to get yourself out of the aridity, you accept the aridity aridity is actually helping you be more virtuous. It's helping you be more humble. And so she's, you might say that she's challenging us to enter more deeply into St. Ignatius's teaching. Desolation is an opportunity to follow the Lord and let the Lord test our love. That note is in this first chapter and will continue throughout Book 3 of the Mansions. But she's also making some subtle suggestions against a maybe, oh, superficial understanding of what St. Ignatius was trying to help his followers understand. But you're right, though. She is in conversation right now with the whole Ignatian tradition in this chapter. In particular, she's in conversation with it because it was St. Francis Borgia And another spiritual director, who was also a Jesuit, who helped her through this third mansion, helped her enter into a much deeper devotion to the Lord.
0: Now, I think this is a a good point, Anthony, to maybe to help instruct us in the confusion sometimes, you know, modern readers, contemporary readers of both Ignatius and Teresa, or uh, let me put it this way. Ignatian spirituality and Carmelite spirituality, that there are differences, even though that somebody might pick up a book and read Ignatius and see the words consolation and desolation, and then you read John of the Cross or Teresa, and it seems to be the same words, but in a very real way, it's the different approaches given the charisms of the spiritualities. I don't mean to make it confusing, but I think that's what can kind of perplex folks when they're trying to navigate on this journey.
1: Yeah, I think whenever we read a spiritual classic, especially the first time we're reading it through, kind of letting the author explain his terms and the way he or she wants to use his terms in their own words and appreciating them for that first is the first step to kind of trying to get the specific character of of what they're trying to advance. Ultimately, you can, after you've become more accustomed to reading the Ignatian exercises, reading this interior castle, reading St. John of the Cross's Dark Night, you can also see connections. For example, they might use similar terms in different ways, but their goal ultimately isn't to two different kinds of holiness. There's just one holiness in the church. And in terms of prayer, they're not really advancing two different kinds of prayer. There's prayer matures toward transforming union with God, and they might use different language to describe the development and what full maturity looks like, but they are all kind of headed for the same thing. So Ignatius, John of Avila, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, Francis Borgia, Peter of Alcantara, St. John of God, Uh, These figures that I've just listed, three of whom are doctors of the church, and and I didn't even get to the Benedictines too. How
0: about those Dominicans? You got to throw the Dominicans in while we're talking about it.
1: Yeah. This all comes out of 16th century Spain, and it's it's an explosion of mental prayer. Mm -hmm. And all the authors that I just listed, or saints, are kind of familiar with to one degree or another with each other's works and are mutually influenced uh, by them uh, in different degrees. Teresa is probably the one who is most consciously trying to incorporate the insights of others into the way she sees and understands the spiritual life. She's a great synthesizer. Mm -hmm. It's, It's because of Teresa of Avila that we know about John of Avila. She's the one who discovers John of the Cross. It's because of her that the writings of the Peter of Alcantara, his teachings on meditation and so forth, people began to pay attention to those uh, centuries later because she mentions all these writers in her own writing. She's befriending Dominicans who are opposed to mental prayer when they first meet her, but as the friendship develops, they begin to enter deeply into mental prayer themselves. Uh, So she's attracting people. This whole treatise that she's engaged with right now is making the case that mental prayer is a fruitful means of spiritual maturity. And she's Proposing this over and against another worldview that says you don't need mental prayer or contemplative prayer or contemplation. It's esoteric. It's gnostic, and it leads to confusion. And so, just live a good life. Be virtuous. Go to the sacraments. Go to penance. Pray your vocal prayers, but don't use your mind too much in prayer because uh, you know this this isn't this is kind of a dangerous thing to do. And don't whatever you do, don't avail your heart of the deep things of God, because that's a dangerous thing to do. Well, that mentality is a mentality we still have today. And she is a prophetess speaking a word of truth into all the assumptions, mistaken assumptions, that that way of being Catholic suggests. She's proposing a very intimate, a very personal relationship with the Lord as the way of spiritual maturity. She's proposing an ongoing conversation with the Lord in the deepest part of our hearts, confronting the deepest realities of our lives. That, and she's saying that in in this chapter, even when he doesn't seem present, when he seems far removed from you, even when you don't feel anything, you go to pray and there's no devotion there. If you are faithful to prayer, and faithful to the Christian life, and humble about before him and about what he's doing and the way he's doing it, he is going to do something very beautiful in your life. If you go to St. Ignatius, he will say the same thing in a different kind of way, and if you go to John of Avila, he says the same thing in a different way, and John of the Cross. The thing about Teresa and John is they're writing a little bit after St. Ignatius, A little bit after John of Avila, their writings are starting to emerge. And so they've been able to see some of the pitfalls that people are getting into who only have the Ignatian exercises guiding them. And so she's offering corrective. In all likelihood, the sisters to whom she's writing will uh, have a Jesuit spiritual director or have been influenced by a Jesuit. She's not writing against the Ignatian spirituality, but she is warning her sisters here, and nor is she saying that it's particularly bad or you shouldn't let yourself be influenced because you're a Carmelite. She's just saying, here is some wisdom that I learned so that uh, as you hear counsel from others, you know these principles and you can discern what they're saying in light of these principles that I learned through a lot of difficult suffering.
0: Well, and I just, I have to add this, and, and I love St. Ignatius dearly. I truly, truly do. But he's not a doctor of the church. Teresa is. <laughs> so, especially the mystical. Um, and John of the Cross. And even our little Therese. Alphonse Liguori was tremendously influenced by Teresa of Avila. loved her dearly. I I would imagine if you went back and you looked at the writings of Francis de Sales that you would find combinations of all of that. And I think it's beautiful, isn't it? That's why it's important to continue to feed yourself with this rich banquet. And in this case, the, the beautiful banquet that Teresa prepares for us from her own experience.
1: Sure. And we're so blessed today because we have designated for us by the church these doctors of the church. And this is kind of a new thing. Teresa of Avila, Catherine of Siena, John of the Cross, uh, Therese of Lisieux, uh, John of Avila, uh, these Carmelites and 16th century saints were only made doctors of the church within our lifetime since 1972. Maybe some of you are younger and Before 1972, we didn't have any women doctors of the Church. Mm -hmm. And now the Church has proposed these women doctors of the Church, these other, St. John of Avila and St. John of the Cross, 16th century doctors of the Church. It may be someday that we will see great mystics from the the Society of Jesus also raised up his standards for the mystical tradition of the Church. St. Ignatius certainly influenced Uh, The great doctors of the church of uh, of the time, John of Avila and Ignatius were a tag team. And Teresa of Avila's conversion was greatly aided by the confidence in the Ignatian tradition, the confidence the Ignatian tradition has in the mercy and the love of God and its triumph over sin and the evil one. Uh, What this means then, sometimes people and looking at different spiritual traditions want to see them over and against each other i think in heaven they exist more in symphonic relationship mm. like there are harmonies between them and learning to appreciate those harmonies and let the beauty of those harmonies kind of sting our soul this i think uh, for for anyone who wants to go deeper into spiritual reading this becomes the big task we don't need to defend one a spiritual tradition over against another. Instead of all these different spiritual traditions, they are part of the mystical patrimony of the church. Uh, and we need to learn how to repurpose that patrimony in concert. And so Ignatius has some wisdom, but I think Teresa and John offer some correctives to it that are very important so that we don't stay at a superficial understanding of this mystical wisdom that Ignatius was tapping into. One part that is true between Ignatius and Teresa of Avila, I think I mentioned this in an earlier episode, we talked about when the well runs dry. You know, Ignatius, it said, and Teresa, I've heard similar things, and you get glimpses of it in her writing, that his cheeks were never dry from the tears he shed Mm -hmm. over what the Lord had done in his heart. Francis of Assisi, the same, and the fathers of the church talk about the gift of tears. And here, the soul, when we get into look at this third mansion, the soul, if it will allow itself to go into this aridity, it sheds a new kind of tear. It begins to shed tears over the fact that it doesn't shed tears. It weeps over the fact that it doesn't love enough in the face of the love that has been bestowed upon it. And this is the, the the mystery that Teresa's trying to lead us
0: into. Mm, that's beautiful, Anthony. Just in closing, I, I just have to say that image of a symphony, I couldn't help of it being more of a chorus. I mean imagine if you listened to the music and all you heard was the soprano line or all you heard was the bass or the, the mezzo or the tenor. But when you put all of all those elements together, wow, what a chorus.
1: That's right. That's a great image. Mm.
0: Anyway, any final thoughts?
1: Teresa is going to continue to explore aridity and prayer and what God is doing in the midst of that to heal us. She's going to uh, help us see ourselves in the place of the rich young man who thinks he's doing everything so well mm. and then meet, meets Jesus and gets told to get rid of everything. She's going to play with that idea in the next chapter, and I'm looking forward to that conversation when we have it.
0: Me too, I think. I think I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if I can live up to that one. All right. Thank you so much, Anthony.
1: Uh, Thank you. What a beautiful conversation.
0: You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. There too, you will find an audio version of the interior castle by Saint Teresa of Avila, the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.